your Bible with you today, if you'll open up to uh, the book of Revelations is where we'll be starting off, um, or spending most of our time at least as we get uh, ready today. Uh, I hope that you have uh, run yourself uh, ragged, been spending time with family and catching up with, with friends, and uh, I pray that your Christmas didn't pass without uh, time spent reflecting on who the Lord is and what He's done for us. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, 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 the whole picture of where we've been. In fact, if you were to open your worship guide, you'll see a lot of blank space. And, and I would encourage you, now is a great time to draw in your bulletin, your worship guide, as we talk about Revelation chapter 12. We'll be in verses 7 through verse 12 uh, for our last time together this year. I, I want to bring us back to where we've been over the last few weeks. As we've li been looking at Christmas and Advent. A few weeks ago, we started looking at the coming of Christ. And we, we talked about how Advent, when we use that word Advent, it, it, it's to a degree we talk about looking forward to Christmas or looking forward to the birth of Christ, although the birth of Christ has already happened, so we're looking forward to something backwards. When really Advent, even its beginning, is meant to stir us up, to look forward to the coming of Christ to his return to us and that's what gives christmas its full meaning in that we talked about the name that jesus was given uh, when he was born the name that tied into isaiah the name in the in revelation looked at christ as our king the one who would dominate and peace would follow in his footsteps and we so we looked at this idea of jesus coming and then last week we looked at this picture of the beginning of the beginning when we looked at Christ coming on earth being born of a baby was kind of the the beginnings of what one day would be the beginning of new life for all of us in the reign the return of Christ and we we looked in Revelation chapter 11 at this idea that that when Christ was blowing the the angels were blowing the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation we see that instead of a woe, we see this awesome moment of Christ and this kind of synopsis of the next ah, few verses in the book of Revelation coming to be true, culminating in this true reign of Christ. It was the beginning of the beginning. Well, today, to wrap it all together, what we're going to look at is this line in between. Uh, what what is what does this look like? How do we find ourselves moving from this person of Christ being born to this anticipatory way of living in the second coming, knowing that Christ is returning? The New Testament is is full of this picture telling us to live ready. So there's a discourse in the book of John between Jesus and the disciples. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and the disciples say, where are you going? He says, well, you know the way to where I'm going. He said, we don't know the way. And Jesus in John chapter 14 utters these beautiful words. He says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you know me, then you know the way. And, and church, this is an interesting thing in Scripture because this idea of knowing Christ isn't knowing about Christ. 
It isn't knowing that Christ is a, is a good, you know, friend from a neighboring territory. It's not a lip service knowledge. It's this intimate knowledge. The New Testament and our relationship with Christ gives us this beautiful, unyielding picture of what it means to know Christ as the way. And it is not simply knowing about Him or knowing Him in general sense. It's this deep knowledge of being in coordination with Him. To, to give you a, a picture, uh, in a modern day, I was reading about Boeing <clears throat> launched a Starliner. I don't know if you've, you've seen this in the news recently. Boeing launched a Starliner. We're trying to get uh, Americans to the space station from American soil for the first time since 2011, from what I understand, kind of getting through all these things. And so Boeing launched their Skyliner in there. And, and I don't know if you read the news, but it got up and something went wrong. And so it didn't make it to the space station. It had changed its orbit, and it, it didn't, you know, fall apart. It just didn't make it to its destination, and so it landed back on Earth safely. So I was reading, what, what happened in this arc? What happened in this arc in this Boeing Starliner? And, and believe it or not, it was a faulty timing sensor. That's what caused a faulty timing sensor. In other words, as the Starliner was taking off, Somewhere along the way, the computer thought it needed to take a different trajectory and, and expend fuel to make very minute maneuvers in order to, to follow its mission. And, and those minute maneuvers spent a lot of gas. It took it off course so that it would no longer have the fuel to reach the station. It wasted, it wasted its fuel. It knew the trajectory but it wasted its fuel and got off course. And in that moment, this is a funny thing, the Starliner was between two satellites. You know what that means? It means that the ground control couldn't get correction advice to it or correction data to it quick enough to correct its course. And so it, it didn't make it. It, it. it fell short. And I thought, you know, Reading about this Starliner, looking at what Scripture says about Jesus Christ and us knowing the way. It would be very easy for us to think we have an understanding of what it means that Christ is the way. And yet, we throw just a little bit of bad data in there in our understanding of our relationship with Christ. And we find out all too late that, that we're not going to make it at all. You see, that's what Revelations, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says. It gives us this picture of this battle, so to speak. And it talks directly to this point of what it's like for you and I to be able to celebrate at the coming of Christ. So look in your Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, down through 12. It says, now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb 
by the word of their testimony, for they love their lives, not their lives, even unto death. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. This is kind of a, an, an interesting place in this, in this revelation of John. If you kind of see this pattern, the, the book of Revelation gives us this idea that there is a, a judgment, a woe is coming, this, these trumpets, these bowls being poured out of God's wrath. But every now and then, for the church, we get these pictures of extreme jubilation, of, of hope, that even in all of this wrath, in the judgment of the world, in all the difficult times, God keeps giving these moments of renewed hope, of through all of this, this is where we're leading. No matter what you're enduring in life, this is where it's all pointing to. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is what it looks like for you and I to live a life on trajectory with Christ in this overcoming way. Now, now verse 7 through verse 9, it, we'll, we'll talk through it just a little bit, because the Bible tells us this imagery, this picture, this story, this word, this truth of what has happened. It says, there arose in heaven this war, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpents called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I just want to share this with you to, to set up this moment. I, I've read many different ways. Some people say this is a time, a break in the story, looking back to a battle that occurred when, when Satan was kicked out of heaven on earth, and this is an ancient battle that happened. And, and others say, you know what, as I read it in context, it's really talking about the time when Satan does this latch-ditch ditch effort to approach the Lord, and the Lord says it's done and over with, and this is right at the end. This is towards the end. And, and regardless of how you interpret it, the same truth applies. Is that the enemy, the devil, in pursuit of Christ, in, in, in his attempt to be the victor over the Lord, he is tossed down like a rag doll by the God of all things. And, and listen, you say, Pastor, what do, what do you think? Well, as I read it in context, it, it does look like absolutely Satan never had a shot. But towards the end, closer to the return of Christ, he will try again in pursuit of overflowing, throwing the Lord. And he will once again be shown his place. You know, as I read this, this word, it says there arose a battle between Michael and, and his angels, the, the, the lead of, of heaven's guards, so to speak. We see this between the dragon. This battle breaks out. It says he was defeated, and there was no longer any place from him, and the great dragon of old was thrown down. I, I read someone talking about this battle, and as we looked through the Scripture, I thought it was beautiful. He said the, the officer status of Michael was much more like a staff officer than a field officer. You know, a field officer is there leading the, the, the battle. He's on the ground fighting it, getting everything he's got. In, in heaven, what we see through Scripture is all the power that the, the angels fight with, it comes from God alone. 
It's not that, well, we're going to lose some angels on the way. It, there's, not a, there's not a possibility that some, some angels or some of heaven's guard is going to get hurt. When the Lord mentions his, his angels, his messengers, it's always in a presence of victory and power in the garden. Do you remember when they come to arrest Jesus and, and Peter says, well, let me protect you. He goes out and lies. I said, what are you thinking? I could call a host of angels. When an angel of the Lord shows up, there's never anyone that challenges or is able to threaten him. Why? Because he is fueled by the victory of the Lord. He's carrying out the plan of the Lord. And so even in this moment, the Lord shows us that all of eternity is held by the power of God. That, that, that when an angel, a fallen angel of the Lord, comes up to stand against him, he is tossed down. Church, if you've come today and you believe at one moment, at any moment, that the adversary of the Lord is his equal I want you to know that this scripture reminds us that there is nothing no weapon that stands against the Lord that will prosper there is no man no thing no being in all creation God is not man not dead man is not God that's been tried over and over again only to meet its judgment if you leave not hearing anything else I want you to know by hearing this, the Lord is always the victor, and he is always the reason for the victory. That's always true. And so on that idea of the scene being set, I want you to look down at verse 10. Look what the Bible says. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day before God. I, I want you to look at who possesses the victory here. Satan has been cast down like a rag doll. He's just been tossed out of heaven, no longer even allowed to come before the Lord. I've been reading in the book of Job, and in the book of Job, even Satan has to come and give an account before the Lord, like, hey, you need to come and kneel to me today. You've got to come give an account. Even then, the Bible says here that he is, he is pushed out, he's pushed down. And in this moment of him being pushed down, look who possesses all of the glory look who possesses all of the tools the bible says it clearly and i heard a loud voice saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and the authority of his christ have come the power the kingdom the authority the salvation it all belongs to the lord He's done everything. Everything that you need is in the Lord's hands. As you look into next year to make a New Year's resolutions, let me tell you, it's all in the Lord's hands. You see, I think sometimes we believe that we need Jesus to bring salvation. That, that, that Jesus, when we confess our sins to him, that he brings salvation. And once he brings salvation, we're good and the rest is up to us. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. There's, that would be like a mother giving birth to her child and saying, well, 
I gave you life. Cut the umbilical cord. Are you going to take him home with you? No, he's good. Are you kidding me? I mean, we, we don't do that at 15. They're not good. You see, the reality is, is that salvation comes through Christ alone. That you and I are on this journey with Christ, secure through his salvation. But it's not salvation alone that belongs to the Lord. And you and I cannot live like it. We must live knowing in our relationship with him that salvation and power and the kingdom and the authority of his Christ all belong to the Lord. The same Lord. The same God. If you're wondering, who is that God? It's the God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who sent his only son to die on the cross. If you're thinking of any other Lord, that's the wrong one. Because the Bible says that this Lord has given authority to his Christ. If there is a religion, if there is a word, if there is a God out there who has not given all of his authority to his Christ, it's the wrong one. Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say, we are the way. Right? We are the world, but we are not the way. And so, Scripture says in this moment of overwhelming victory that the one who possesses not just the kingdom, not just the salvation, but the power and the authority is our Lord. Church, what does it look like for you to submit to that truth? I love what Scripture does. It gives us a picture of it. It says that the, the salvation and power and authority, the kingdom and authority of Christ have come. Listen, it says then, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day before the Lord. Do you know that's what the enemy does? Night and day, nonstop. What is he really up to? What is the devil up to? He's up to accusing you. He's up to accusing me before God. I remember watching the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe years ago. And, and Edmund ate Turkish delight, which is excellent, by the way. And he ate the Turkish delight. And he abandoned his family for, for the queen. And she says, he's done wrong. There has to be a penalty. Listen, you and I have filled our cup multiple times with sin. You were not born perfect. If you think you were, just ask your spouse, your child, or a friend you just met on the street. We, we will point out the times when we have wronged one another, when sin or self has driven us. The enemy is accusing us, and realistically, your sin and my sin are enough fuel to make that fire burn bright. But praise God that your salvation, that your way to the kingdom, that the power that you rely on is not based on you. See, it is based on the one who possesses salvation, the one who possesses authority, the one who possesses the power, and the one who owns the kingdom. And so the accuser can stand and accuse God's children all day long. But the Lord will toss him out still the same. There's victory in that. There's victory in knowing that our salvation, that our hope is not based on us. But that doesn't mean 
that our life doesn't matter. I think that's why the Lord doesn't stop this revelation here. But he goes a little bit further and he talks about how it works out. We know that this is true, but how is this true? How does it work? Look in your Bible. It says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. And they have conquered him. Now, now we, we know by the end of this, they love not their lives, even unto death, that the Lord is talking about those who are his, that those who belong to him, that those who've been redeemed by him. How do those, how do God's people conquer the enemy? The Bible says the victory is ours. We are more than conqueror, Paul writes. We, we have this battle that's already been won. So if God has done everything, how are we conquerors? We have overcome him. We have victory in him by the blood of the Lamb. That's how we have victory. We don't have victory by doing more good things than bad things. That's a way to complete failure. That's where we lose trajectory and end up in the wrong atmosphere and end up crashing down to earth. We have victory by what He has done and what He did on the cross. You know, let me put this in perspective. When I was a senior in high school, I had a t-shirt we all made that said, National Champions. Um, our, our swim team, our high school swim team, was rated the best in the nation in this hypothetical swim meet. So we made shirts. I remember wearing my shirt to church one night, and I showed my youth minister. I'm like, we are national champions. He said, well, how does that work? He said, well, they put all of our best times, I get the best times of all the other schools in the nation, and we won. He's like, that's awesome. How many points did you contribute? I said, I'm on the team. You see, because all it took in that race was one of our relays and two of our guys to win multiple events. We had five guys score all the points. Their work, their speed, their tenacity. It made us national champions. You may say, well, I, I, I helped out in these other. No, no, no. I didn't contribute a bit. But you know who wore the shirt? All the time. Because I was on their team. There's no denying. My testimony spoke of it. I woke up and swam with them every morning. I went to all the meets with them. I cheered them on. I wore our school colors. I swam in the races that led up to all of those things. I, there was no denying I was in a part of it. In fact, if you were to go back to our high school, they made us take pictures in inappropriate swim team bathing suits. There's proof. I'm on the team. But I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. You see, you and I overcome because of His work on the cross. You and I overcome because God became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect, sinless life, undeserving of tasting death in any way, shape, or form. But he who knew no sin 
became sin so that we might be what? The righteousness of God. He has overcome for us. That's what Scripture says. If you want to know the boat to get on, the team to get on, if you want to know how this works, then you must submit to understanding that Christ has done all the work. So then what in the world does then by the word of our testimony mean? If we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, what does that mean? How, how does that look in our life as believers? But this is where we can't get off track. We have not overcome by the work of Jesus and by our work working together to create a victory. Right? This is not some mixed drink of faith. A little bit of works, a little bit of Jesus, maybe more Jesus than me, and put it together, and we have a winning combination. That's not at all what that is. What, what is the word of our testimony? The word of our testimony is our witness. See, it's not that you have to work to have salvation. It's that when salvation works in you, then your testimony is enough. And process this. When you and I live out our faith in Christ Jesus, when we come alongside of Him, we are not the cause, but we are the proof. You know, you, you might say, how do you know that I'm married? I live in that proof. I have a symbol on my finger. My wife sits here every week. She's not pretending. I have documents that show it. This is something you're going to ask later, but that's true. I, I'm just living proof that we were married. And I'll show you all the documents. I say, Pastor, how did you make her fall in love with you? This is why I believe in grace. This is how I know. It's the work of the Lord. Listen. When you and I live by the word of our testimony, when we overcome, it's when I look at my life, is there fruit? That's what Scripture says. You will know them by their love. You will know them by their fruit. Will you or do you live a life where Jesus Christ is loved more than anything? Matthew chapter 10 says, do you love me more than? you got to hate your family so to speak, and love me that much more. If it's between me and your family, you've got to love me. Do you love me? He asked Peter. We can look further in John chapter 12. It says the one who loves his life, you're going to lose it. But the one who hates his life, lets it go, he'll find it. Why? Because you loved me more. There's proof of it. Church, it says in the early Bible, in the early chapter of Acts, that they were known to have been with Jesus. How were they known to have been with Jesus? Because the word of their testimony was obvious. Now here's the catch. You and I have to be mindful that we are looking at the word of our testimony. Are we walking with Christ? Have we made Jesus Christ, accepted His rule as Lord of our life? Are we bearing the fruit that the Holy Spirit absolutely produces in the life of a believer. Listen, you can't earn fruit. Note to self, you're saying, I'm not praying for patience. Right? Because the Lord will teach it to you. There's nothing, you don't teach a tree how to bear fruit. Right? Anyone go out in their backyard with the oranges this year? Like, okay, here's what we're going to do first. 
You're going to suck in the water. Then after a little while, you're going to grow these little green balls on the end. And you're going to shoot the right of me. You don't teach a tree how to bear fruit. It bears fruit because that's what a fruit tree does. When you and I, when the word of our testimony is living under the blood and in the blood of Jesus Christ, a conquering life that brings us towards his coming, that live, allows us to live towards the kingdom, then our testimony is proof that we are overcomers. And church, this is where we can't get off trajectory. Scripture doesn't say you need to do these things to have life. He says, abide in me, Christ says, and I'll abide in you. That's it. In other words, just li be living proof. Be a testimony. Church, I think sometimes we think of Jesus' power in salvation, but not his power of salvation or even the purpose for you and I need to look at our testimony and I would much prefer we be honest with ourselves today than find out the honest truth of our testimony when it's too late listen to what verse 12 says therefore rejoice rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in a great wrath because he knows his time is short. Listen, whether you think this story is one that happened at the beginning or whether it's one to come, the results are the same. The enemy, the devil, the liar, the accuser, he knows time of his allowance is coming to an end and his wrath is proof that he knows the testimony of God is true and is still unwilling to accept it so like a child who screams louder and louder as you walk out of the candy aisle with nothing in their hands the Bible says the enemy will lash out at you question is is your home in heaven can you say without a shadow of a doubt at this moment I know that the blood of the lamb has done all the work that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him and I know that and I believe that and I submit to that today and as you look at your life right now would you say from the outside looking in, if I'm honest with myself, does the word of my testimony testify to that being true? This is the moment. You, you should not start next year. You shouldn't start next, next hour, the next day, without knowing for sure. The Bible's clear. God's promises are true. The power, the salvation, the authority, the kingdom, they all belong to the Lord. And by His Son's blood, victory has been paved away. 
accept the invitation and say, Lord, I would rather submit to you than to find out my trajectory was wrong all this life. This morning, if you have been to church your whole life, if, if you went to VBS as a kid, maybe maybe you, you said a prayer. Does the word of your testimony testify to the truth? Or maybe is it time to say, maybe I, I've been off trajectory. I thought I was saved by Jesus, but now I've been working in me instead of clinging to him. Don't leave today without laying that down before the Lord. And if you look and you say, God, I know I'm not perfect. I won't be prideful. Lord, when I look, I know your word is true. I know the blood of the lamb is true. And I look at my testimony and Lord, yeah, then today rejoice because you're an overcomer because of who he is. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, today I pray that we would not leave confused. Lord, we are on your team. The, 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 the seal upon our heart doesn't belong to points earned by our works. The blood of the Lamb. Father God, thank you for allowing me to be an overcomer because of you. Let my life reek of it. Like Daniel's. Like Paul's. Like John's. Like Aquila and Priscilla. Like Lydia. Lord, if there are any in this room today, I pray that you would not let them move from this moment if they do not know what their word is testifying about. But God, for those 